Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 36. We are now in our, is this our third week in the Sermon on the Mount? Yes, it is. Yeah, so we're quickly learning through Jesus' words that God's kingdom is a kingdom of the upside down, and that those that... um are living among the lowly in society, those that are in want, those that are pursuing righteousness' sake, and maybe experiencing the lack on this side of eternity. There's a hope for those people in the age to come, and that God will be a rewarder of those people, and that true justice will be experienced in those people's lives for the things that they've experienced, whether good or hard or oppressive, that God is the true source of light in those circumstances and that those circumstances don't have the final say. And Jesus is going to continue that where we're going to pick up today. Yeah, and it's a funny thing. We've been, on one hand, it's this this beautiful, wonderful hope. And yet, on the other hand, it's been very challenging. I mean, some of it's almost even harsh uh, when we think of, you know, pretty much normal run-of-the-mill Christianity, this is, we, we've said it, it's a high, high calling. Mm-hmm. So, you better pick up that phone. <laughs> 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 All right, so here we go. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this will be verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay. Well, we just talked about salt, and we made a big deal about, you know, our role in the world and what it is to to be salt. Well, now, now we have to be light. So let's talk about light a little bit. One thing we know is that light overcomes darkness. <laughs> darkness, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it allows you to see your way. Uh, I guess in some sense it maybe brings comfort or safety. But this is what the nation of Israel was to be to all the other nations, just like the salt. And in the same way, this is what we are to be, just like that. So, you know, I've been trying to pick verses that that line up here. Samuel, why don't you read for me from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Yeah. I will give you as a light for the nations, if I could paraphrase out of there. It's amazing. This is is Israel. This is the plain practical meaning. And of course, it has its fulfillment in Messiah. You know, we've mentioned a couple of times before, there's this weird kind of thing where, in a sense, Jesus or Messiah, he is Israel. But as it's worked out in Israel, as it's worked out in Messiah, then by extension, it's also uh, in us or through us. So uh, what else? Similar to the salt, uh, it would be absurd to try to hide the light from a city on a hill. Uh, It's also absurd to uh, light a lamp and then hide it under a basket. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? When we have light, we try to put it in the most advantageous position. We want it to give light to all. And now, here's the thing. If Israel is the light, and by extension, if we are the light, then we too should be conspicuous. We should be 
noticeably visible everywhere we go. And and how how is it that you're visible? How do you stand out? Well, this light, as we saw in the text, uh, it says, let your light shine so that they may see your good works. Well, light is being equated to good works. And these good works are, very simply, just doing God's will instead of our own. Good works are following the instructions that are in the Torah. And, I mean, it says it right there in verse 16, and boy, wait till you see what's coming. (laughs) It's crazy. But, you know, being salt and being light in this world, okay, that's how others can actually see and and know God. It's how, how they might be put in a position where they too could give glory to God. So uh, that's kind of the end of that. I'm going to do a little bit of summarizing here before we go to the next section. Samuel, you got anything? No, I mean, I think that you brought up that this light that Jesus is talking about in these descriptive examples, not that it can't be used as your, as someone's evangelical witness, your story to be able to be ready to say, but yeah. Maybe more so that light is your life, like that people yeah. c- can actively see and how you're treating the people around you. I think that is as much of an indicator as anything else. Yeah. Yeah, we we weren't made to be those who think like God alone. We weren't made to be those who, you know, say things that God says alone. We were to be in the image the world is supposed to be able to see him through us. Individually, yeah. Collectively, yeah. So yeah, that's it's a good thing. All right, well, let's... Quick summary, because this next verse coming up... It's one of the big ones. Yeah, that's right. It should be up there with John 3.16, but I don't know why it never is. I don't know. But let's say, Jesus is teaching. He's, uh, number one, our hope... Okay, it's fulfilled in the kingdom. That's covering maybe verses 3 through 10 in Matthew, anyway. Uh, A life without comfort and ease, whether that's by choice or not, is, you know, kind of sort of the way to the kingdom, verses 3 to 5. You're the, the agent or the conduit of this kingdom for others. You you can kind of bring the kingdom to them, and in a sense, you're also like the invitation to the kingdom, if you will. Uh, those are verses 6 through 10. And you know what? Doing your job, if we can call this your job, doing it well, well, it just might bring you some trouble, verses 11 and 12. And then as we're finishing up, especially we saw with the salt and the light, the method by which you bring the kingdom is good works, which is just another way of saying doing God's will above your own, which is just another way of saying keeping Torah. And anytime we say that, we want to be clear that's as it applies to you and with its true goal in mind. And that would be things like justice, mercy, etc. And those, I I put those in verses uh, 13 to 16. So the reason I did this summary, just to bring this all back to mind, it's important to see and follow where we've been, where we're headed, so that you can even understand what happens next. We've sort of played this idea of the grain of sand in the oyster because if you were reading along and you were just reading the Beatitudes and you thought, oh yeah, you know, nice people, you know, or, or some poor people get help, or the, you know, that's all such a nice, sweet story. Oh yeah, salt and light. I'm one of the good guys. Hoo-hoo for me. Well, when you get to verse 17, it's going to feel like you're just turning on a dime. Boom, new topic. But as we've been going through it, we've been highlighting the kingdom, our role in it, and and eventually ended up to that place where it's like, yeah, and it's Torah, it's doing good deeds, it's following his instructions, his will above my own. That's what it's all about. Now when we get to verse 17, 
it's not going to feel like you're turning on a dime. It feels like it just goes right along with what we're talking about. So let's go there. You ready? Lay it on us. All right. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay. So, on one hand, think about where we are. Jesus, first century, all the stories we've been hearing over all these last podcast episodes. Okay, there may be some people around who might be thinking of Jesus as some sort of Sabbath breaker. That's something that's been coming up, right? He did the the healing or his disciples picking the grain or whatever. Or, I don't know, maybe there are some stories we haven't heard because, you know, the Gospels, they can't include everything. Maybe they think of him as some other kind of lawbreaker. Maybe he's getting a little reputation for, I don't know, this guy's stretching the bounds, you know, whatever. Well, he is about to dispel that myth in its entirety. So think about what he says here. Well, maybe I shouldn't have said think about because I'm going to tell you not to think now. Anyway, it says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Okay. So any thought that you may have running through your head right now that Jesus has uh, in some way, in any way, either abolished or destroyed or canceled or superseded or replaced or diminished or deprecated, etc., the law or the Torah or the Old Testament, well, okay, this is for you. Jesus is speaking to you right now. And here's what he says. Don't even think that thought. Don't even think it. Which, I don't know, there are a whole bunch of pulpits and a whole bunch of churches all across America, they seem to not get this verse right here. But it can't get any more clear. Oh, but wait, it can. The next bit, I have not come to abolish them. Well, if the first part wasn't clear enough telling you not to think it, Jesus is even more explicit. He has not come to abolish them. What is them? Law, Torah, Old Testament, whatever. These are his words. His words, not mine. And just a little side note, uh, some people look at that and when they see I have come or I have not come, they think of, they're, they're, they get it in their head. It's like he came from heaven, which of course he did. But I, I think just in terms of the text and contextually stuff like that, I think we need to see it more like it's, uh, it's about the intended purpose. Do not think that my intended purpose is to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not intended, my intended purpose is not to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? Anyway, that's just a thing. And is the the Greek word in this sense for abolish, I know a lot of people in these discussions want to focus on that word. Like, is it pretty much a standard Greek to English equivalent in terms of the meaning for abolish in this scenario? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people say like destroy or stuff, like, but but yeah, it's it's uh, it's exactly what you think it is. Okay. However, we got a little bit coming here in a minute because we're going to talk about it first in like the plain text, like plain English, whatever. But we're also going to talk about uh, Hebrew idioms. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, it's exactly what it says. And fulfill. Well, believe it or not, that means exactly what you think it means too. It means to do to the full. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. But here's the point. We got Jesus saying this very, very clear, clear thing. And he is going to remain completely consistent in this regard throughout all of the Gospels. Now, I can almost hear people listening to the podcast. Their brain is firing off just a whole bunch of scriptures. And I know that you think that they contradict this. And I'm even going to guess, if not entirely, at least for the vast majority, these are going to be things that are coming from the Apostle Paul. And so I just want to make two very clear statements. Number one, Paul does not disagree with Jesus. 
Now, I can't take the time to prove all that to you in this episode because we're walking our way through the Gospels. But boy, when we get to the book of Acts and then on to some of the letters of Paul, we're going to, I mean, it's, we're going to show you. It's perfectly clear. There are perceived disagreements, but I'm just going to let you know, these are interpretive error, misdirection, etc. And and we'll address it. It's just a question of whether we live long enough, right? <laughs> we're going to get there. Okay, but now that I've said point number one, Paul does not disagree with Jesus, now I'm going to make point number two. If they really do disagree, let's just say that they do, well, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to pull out the classic, my dad can beat up your dad argument. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law. And you think that Paul the Apostle is saying that the law has been abolished. Well, Jesus wins. End of story. I'm taking my ball and going home. Mm-hmm. That's it. So in, in that sense, if there's really disagreement, we need to remove Paul from the discussion. He can't outdo Jesus. That's the end of it. But anyway, let, let's go on. So um, he, he didn't come to abolish, but he came to fulfill. So this idea of fulfill... Uh, them, okay, number one, what is them, the law and the prophets? Okay, what does it mean? Well, he has he has performed them. He has upheld them. He has met the expectation of them, realized them, or we could even say taught them. But there is no part of this word, this phrase, not, nothing, you can't get... There's nothing that suggests the end of the law and the prophets. In fact, it's more of an endorsement for them and even for us to do them as well. And I, I okay, this is going to be kind of a cheesy example, but just go with me for a second, Samuel. Let's say uh, you're going to do kind of a Forrest Gump thing. All right. You are going to take a trip across America, East Coast to West Coast and back and Everybody in the news, everybody's interested in what you're doing because you have said you're going to make the trip and you're not going to break a single law, not a single rule of the road. And so everybody's watching your trip to see if you can pull this thing off. And let's just say you do it. You go from one coast to the other and back. You don't break a single law. You do it perfectly. Now tell me. Is anybody going to get the bright idea of going, well, now that someone has obeyed them so perfectly, I guess we can just toss them all out. No more rules of the road for us. No, that person would be their golden child to be like, you see, this is why we had them established in the first place. Yeah, yeah. There's no logical sense to it whatsoever. None. The plain meaning... And, and and there's nothing hidden, nothing weird, nothing whatever. He didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's just the end of the story. Now, all of that was about the plain text. But now we're going we're gonna to take a different approach. We're going to say, look, in Hebrew, there's, there's kind of an idiom at play here. And how do we know this? Well, we actually have this written multiple times, multiple different people, whatever, When they are having discussions over the meaning of Torah, and let's just say that someone says something that is new, weird, different, indefensible, something, everyone else is going to be hearing it and trying to decide, hmm, does that that make sense? Is there anything valuable in that? Not, whatever. Well, if they say something bad, everybody else responds with, you are abolishing Torah. And what they mean is, you're, you're misinterpreting it. You're making it of no account because you're going to lead others to sin. And so their phraseology was, you're abolishing Torah. And so Jesus is saying, he's not doing that. Now, similarly, when someone would say something that, you know, sounded right and good and defensible and all that, then everybody listening would respond with, you are fulfilling Torah, which simply meant that they were interpreting it correctly. 
they were highlighting its superiority and, and they were, you know, ultimately leading others to righteousness. And so this kind of idiomatic interpretation, well, that also fits very, very well, because this is exactly what Jesus is doing. In fact, Jesus is about to lay down three chapters of really good interpretation for us, to which I can only say, lucky us. Yeah, that's good, Paul. So if we use this extra biblical context in Jewish culture with those phrases, abolishing Torah and fulfilling Torah, could we go back to Matthew 5.17 and kind of in the same way, all the way back in episode one, when we interposed the word wisdom in for word in John 1, we could do that here and say that Jesus is saying, do not think that I have come to misinterpret the Torah or the prophets, which we can think there's there have been lots of false messiahs up until this point in Jesus' lifetime where people claim to be this promised one but probably mm-hmm. wound up causing more destruction to the nation as a whole and led people to sin and rebellion. So Jesus is saying, I'm not one of those guys. I have come to interpret them correctly. Like I have come to show their true meaning. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah. Plugging those values in works perfectly. And then, of course, as we continue reading, it's just going to make more and more sense. All right, so I beat that drum pretty hard on a single verse, and just in case you think that there's something, I'm not sure, I don't know if it really says what Paul says, well, let's just keep going, because it's not going to get any better for you. Matthew 5, 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, he starts that out by saying, truly I say to you. So, uh, you know, simple sense, Jesus wants to be clear. He's stating something that's important. He's stating something factual, uh, unassailable, whatever. Uh, It's important stuff. But then he uses this phrase, until heaven and earth pass away. So I'm going to ask you, Samuel, when is it that heaven and earth pass away? Isn't that in the world to come? Just before. Because they have to pass away so oh, that we can have the new ones. Duh. That's the world to come, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you're exactly right. But you know what? Let's think about this for a second. What are all the things that are going to happen between now and then? Heaven and earth passing away is, well, it's after his second coming. It's after the thousand-year kingdom, the millennial kingdom. It's after the second resurrection. It's after the final judgment. It's even after death and the grave are thrown into the lake of fire. If you're curious, you can go read about this in Revelation chapters 20 and 21. Heaven and earth passing away, that's a long time from now. And listen to what it said. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. Now, here's another one. Until all is accomplished. Okay. When is that? Uh, I mean, all those things that you said, those have to be... God and the Messiah have to showcase ultimate victory upon his second return. Yes. And therein... Okay, that's the right answer, but this is where we get such a problem. So many people read it and they go, oh, until all is accomplished. And what do they do? They plug in Jesus on the cross. Jesus kept all of the law perfectly. And then he died and he was resurrected. Right? You can see it. It, it, He accomplished everything. And and, and what did it do? It led to the destruction of the temple because none of that stuff was needed anymore. Right? That's the thinking that people have about until all is accomplished. But it's, it's the same until heaven and earth pass away is the same time as when until all is accomplished. Because it's only after all is accomplished that heaven and earth pass away. So, super, super important point that we see that. Now, let's see. uh, What follows heaven and earth passing away, we mentioned a second ago, it's the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, 
and God dwelling with man in the new creation. And so now we're left here going, okay, so now we get it. We know when heaven and earth pass away, all is accomplished. We get all that. That's way off in the future. But remember the point of this verse, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. See, the law will not be diminished. Even the tiniest little bit, it will remain intact and in force until all is accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. And I'm going to say this, give me a chance to make my point. This is for Jews and Gentiles alike. It remains in force for all of us as the loving instructions from a loving God to his creatures that he loves. Because it's all about how man relates to man and how man relates to God. Now, the Jews have an added in force, covenantal kind of obligation that we Gentiles don't have, okay, but don't try to take that away from them. If you're Jewish, you still need to be keeping the law in whatever way you can, but it remains a blessing to us all. And that's, that's the important point. If, if, you're, if you're ignoring it or you think it doesn't count or whatever, you're missing out. You're just missing out. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, Samuel, about the kingdom. You said about how it's upside down, right? And we always talk about the first shall be last, the last shall be first, right? Mm -hmm. And we had, I don't know if you remember, we were in Torah Club. Just, I think it was the last one we were in, something like that. What we're we're actually saying is the kingdom is the true right side up world. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who are living in the world that's upside down. But, you know, we get the idea. And... The reason I mention that is because this, when we start talking about Torah and law and all that, a lot of people get turned off. But listen, it is that very same law that instructs us in, and it guides us in how to turn our lives, turn our world right side up. So we got to quit kicking it to the curb. It's good stuff. Yeah. All so many good things, Paul. I, I, my uh, midrash bones are trembling right now. I've got a good one I want to lay on Go. this discussion. Lay it on us, <laughs> um, especially Jesus's emphasis on not an iota, not a dot. So those are Greek terminologies, but of course yeah. we know that there is a Hebrew equivalent to what was being transcribed or written in Greek and in Hebrew the language, the alphabet the smallest actual letter is called Yod and it looks almost like an apostrophe but it's like smaller than that Um, and so Jesus is saying not even the little apostrophe that goes in between the larger letters is going to be removed from the Torah before all these things are accomplished and there's a Midrash like this old Jewish story that talks about how King Solomon was rewriting the law in Deuteronomy. Yes. And um, it was this verse in Deuteronomy. I'll, I'll read this part for everybody, but he erased that one little yod and it changed the entire meaning of that entire verse in Deuteronomy. It essentially took away the prohibition of multiple wives. And we know how Solomon's story ended with him having like an egregious amount of concubines. But the way that the rabbis paint this story is just so good. So just bear with me. This won't take much more time. I just It paints such a good picture of the steadfastness of God's word from the beginning until the end. So here it is. At that time, the little yod, that's the letter, from the word multiply in Deuteronomy 17, 17, ascended on high and prostrated itself before the Holy One, blessed be he and said, Master of the universe, did you not say that no letter shall ever be abolished from this Torah? Behold, now Solomon has arisen and abolished me. Who knows? Today he has abolished one letter, tomorrow he will abolish another, until the whole Torah will be abolished. The Holy One, blessed be he, replied, Solomon and a thousand like him will pass away, 
but the smallest tittle will not be erased from you. Yeah, that's such a good one. I'm so glad that you read that. Um, here's, Here's what I was thinking of while you were reading it. We need to remember that though we think of the Torah in terms of, you know, God spoke to Moses, Moses wrote some stuff down, we've got these scrolls, it became our Old Testament, or at least the first five books, whatever, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Torah itself, it is supernal. It is, it's transcendent. It's beyond even creation. The the Torah that we think of is just the word become human language. And so it can't be done away with. It can't be diminished at all. It's just so good. (sighs) All right. Should we keep going? I think so. I'm just kind of basking in the awesomeness. Yeah, <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, it's very good. All right, so so he says all of that. Talks about how you know not a, an iota or a dot will will uh, pass from the law. He gets to verse 19. He says this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, it's just so good. So, I mean, the basic story here. Jesus is saying, look, you try to diminish even a little bit of this, and you have seriously diminished your your standing in the kingdom. But if you do them, what are we talking about? Them. Why do we keep talking them, them, them? It's the commandments. It's the law. It's the Torah, right? And then he he finishes with, unless your righteousness exceeds. Well, why is he talking about that? Because the Torah helps us to define and understand righteousness. It is the definition of it. It's the thing that we should pursue. And and I'm going to say it out loud again, Samuel. Does it save us? Nope. No, we've already been saved. This is for after, right? Yeah. So let's take a look at this more carefully. First of all, it starts with the word therefore. Okay. And then what's the old joke? What's the therefore there for? (laughs) Well, we just finished saying Since the law isn't going to be diminished in the slightest until the end of this age, that is, heaven and earth pass away, okay, since that's true, then here's what follows. And then he talks about a number of things, like, hey, he says, uh, you know, relaxing, teaching others to do the same. Okay, notice that his overall point includes both teaching and doing. He also refers to the positive side, people who do them and teach them. Again, we're talking about teaching and doing. But then there's a very peculiar thing here, Samuel. He says, if relaxing one of the least of these commandments makes you least in the kingdom, well, then that kind of raises a question. What happens if you relax, you know, one of the greatest of the commandments? or Let's go even further. What if you were teaching something like modern-day supersessionism? Well, what does that do? And, and we don't have the answer. A couple of thoughts might be, well, on one hand, you could say, well, you know, uh, everything's kind of the same. No one thing is worse than the other. So, it, you know, it's just another way that you would be called least in the kingdom. But hey, at least you're still in the kingdom, right? Yeah. Well, that's one approach. Another one might be, well, wait a second. If relaxing even the least of them sends you like, you know, down to the bottom of the the totem pole or whatever, <laughs> whatever, well, then relaxing the greatest or just plain old tossing out the whole law, well, then that must knock you out of the kingdom completely, right? It's more of a more of a measure for measure looking kind of approach, right? Now, I don't know the answer. Because Jesus didn't say specifically. He said it this way here. So I, I don't know. Paul, I got a quick joke. Instead of getting lower on the totem pole, it's lower on the Torah pole. 
Oh. <laughs> and I don't think I have a sound effect for that. Uh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. No, it's good. So here's the point, though. Either way, wh- whatever, you know, he's talking about just the least of them and you become least in the kingdom. You know, gee, what would happen if you did something bigger? Okay, we don't know the answer, but either way, the point is that it is important to safeguard even the least of these commandments. And remember, this is Jesus talking. Now, that raises another question for me. What, what do we mean when we say these commandments? Well, I've actually heard some people who try to limit the group of the commandments to whatever can be gleaned from Jesus' teaching that follows. It's kind of their way of suggesting that, well, if Jesus said it, we'll include that one, but everything else can be tossed out. This is folly. At the very least, in the context right here, the whole law is in view. And more likely, it's, you know, the law, like the Torah and all the prophets. It's really the entirety of the scriptures, the whole Old Testament. So these commandments, it's all of them, everything. It's not some limited set. But then, and oh, I love this part, Samuel. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. All right. I've heard this so many times that the, the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, they're just a bunch of losers. They had everything all wrong. And so, you know, your righteousness only has to exceed that of these goofy losers over here. So no big deal, right? Well, that is not what this is saying at all. This is a high bar. And okay, Samuel. Imagine this one. Let's say you're trying out, you're, 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 you're a young man. You're maybe you're in high school. You're going to try out for the football team. Coach pulls in the office and he says, son, unless your skills exceed those of, uh, you know, little Johnny the paraplegic over there, oh, gosh. you're not going to be making the team. Okay, what are you going to be thinking in your head right then, Samuel? I would be think he would, he has to be kidding me. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that you're ambulatory, you know, I can move arms, limbs, whatever. I mean, already you've got a supreme advantage. Somebody somewhere's got to be playing a joke on you, right? He couldn't have meant that. Well, do you think that Jesus is going to do an example like that? That's crazy. The scribes and the Pharisees were scrupulous keepers of the law. And this was a good thing. However. We've said this many times. They didn't comprehend the meaning of the law, the purpose of the law, the goal of the law. For Jesus to say that their righteousness had to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, it had to be kind of disheartening. They were the ones that everybody looked up to, in a sense. The Pharisees, I'm going to say it again, they were actually the popular ones. In all of Israel. The point of everything that Jesus teaches following this is to show how to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's to show the meaning and the purpose and the goal of the law. So if a person takes this teaching to heart and does it, their righteousness will easily exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, even though they're a really high bar. Now, just one other thing I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it just hurts me. They get this idea that this whole Sermon on the Mount, the point of it was really just to show us how absolutely impossible it was for us to do anything good and therefore Having learned our lesson, we need to just quit trying and just rest in the grace. It's all grace and love, baby. Okay, that is not what's being said here. He's not trying to show, you know, these works-based Jews that, you know, they need to rely on grace and mercy. Here's the thing. 
this kind of thinking about the Jews has been going on, uh, this, this ignorant thinking, this wrong thinking, for about 2,000 years. The Jews already relied on grace and mercy. The Jews never thought that their own works could somehow save them. We later have made up these ideas and put it on the Jews and Judaism, but it's false. And it's, it just, it never was true. So anyway, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Yeah. Like you said at the beginning of this episode, it's a high calling for sure. Um, a couple things before we move on. Um, I really like your comment about this aspect of safeguarding even the least of these commandments for the first half of this chunk, 19 through 20. And that's a very Jewish thing. What came to mind for me is this rabbinic idea of creating a fence around Torah. And the very first time that that concept, that system is shown in scripture is actually in the creation story. Um, If you go back to Genesis two and three, whenever God was commissioning Adam and Eve, like what they could do, what they were within their bounds to, and what they could not. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he lays out like the trees that you can eat and those that you cannot. And then in Genesis 3, whenever the fall happens, whenever the serpent is like asking Eve these questions, like, did he really say this about the garden and the fruit and everything? And, um, in Genesis 3, the woman says, it seems like that she's misquoting what God said because she says, God said we can't eat of it or not even touch it lest we die. And most people think that Eve is an error in that aspect, but the rabbis wanted to think deeper about that. And they were saying like, oh no, maybe this was an aspect of like safeguarding themselves from the commandment of yeah. what not to do so that and we're going to see that like coming up like directly in the next verses with Jesus with him giving these situations about murder and adultery and he's going to show more examples of safeguarding so i just really yeah. like that i hope that conveyed the 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 aspect of putting a fence around torah and then the second thing is kind of a question this is probably hard for a lot of people to hear uh, it's a I mean, unbelievable calling. So is the way that we not get discouraged to focus on what Jesus is about to show us in the following verses? Because at this moment, a lot of people might be feeling exasperated, thinking like, well, how am I supposed to exceed it, exceed them? Like, I don't even know how to follow the law. And the scribes and the Pharisees were scrupulous keepers of the law. What am I supposed to do? And that is the beauty of what he's about to teach, because it's going to show us a lot. But just a, a comment about that. So many people, when they hear law, I mean, they immediately, in their brain, they go into this place of, uh-oh, burden, heavy weight, you know, something. And I'm here to tell you, if pursued properly, the law is actually the thing that will lift burden from you. It is the thing that will bring you to freedom, true freedom. And it's just, it's a little counterintuitive, but if we think of them as as instructions from a loving God to the creatures that he loves, as opposed to law, that'll help a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I think we're to expect what what follows from Jesus is the thing that's going to help us get by that, get through that. All right, well... This next one's kind of big. Let's get busy on it. All we right, can do it. Let's do it. Shall we? All right. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Oh, boy, I don't know. There's a lot in here. (laughs) But let's do this. 
<laughs> you you approached the verse and you went, uh oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> that's right. Well, here we go. So th- uh, there's something that's kind of formulaic here, okay? And this is it's actually a rabbinic formula. This whole idea of you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus didn't make this up. This is a common rabbinic formula. It's a way they teach, and it's it's not intended to offer a contradiction to Torah. It's offering a new or deeper or clearer interpretation of Torah. So Jesus is just going along with societal norms, and he's not, again, contradicting Torah. He's bringing clarity. You have heard, but I say. And honestly, it would read so much better, and it would still be appropriate given the Greek text. It would be so much better if it said, you have heard, and I say, instead of but I say. But whatever. We'll see. Let's just go with it. But it talks about to those of old. And, you know, I mean, when I hear it, I just immediately go, oh, well, do not murder. Must be the Ten Commandments. Must be Moses, whatever. But, you know, some people think that he's specifically referring to the post-exile era. Some thinks it's the pre-exile era. Uh, Who knows? Uh, You know what? Let's simplify it. Because we know that it means those who came before us. Those who passed this stuff down. So at least we know that. To, so those of old. And then you shall not murder. I mentioned it's from the Ten Commandments. We got Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, or Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. You can go look at that if you want. But here's the thing. It says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, number one, that phrase, whoever murders will be liable to judgment, Technically, that's not in the Old Testament scripture. And so, we do find it in many extra-biblical writings. So, in a sense, we might be able to look at this and say, these two statements together kind of give us that sense or that idea that we're talking about both the written law and the oral law. And and he's kind of sort of putting them on a common level, at least in this case. And there is, there's good reason for this, because the same God that gave the laws also set up in Israel their ability to uh, interpret those laws and offer guidelines on those laws and pass judgment on those laws. And so the, the oral law isn't bad either, okay? Now, I think in, in, the, in the best sense, the written law should be take precedence, because in theory, it's from God, but the oral law is very highly regarded, and it's okay, it's okay. Uh, But it says that they're liable to judgment, and it's in the Greek, it actually says to the judgment. Well, which one's that? And of course, lots of discrepancies, who thinks what, some think it's like local courts, some thinks it's Sanhedrin. Some thinks, oh, some, there are some that think, oh, no, it means the death penalty. When you say the judgment, you're talking about the big bad one, death penalty. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Others think it's actually talking about the final judgment with God. I mean, lots of ideas. Either way, it's something bad. Them sound good. Yeah, yeah. You know that you don't want it, whatever's going on. So, now, but now let's get to, to what he's actually saying, okay? So you sh- it's easy for us to imagine, hey, you shall not murder, okay, you're liable to judgment or death penalty. Or whatever. Okay, you know what? We get that. That, that kind of makes sense to us. It's been around forever. But here's, here's where he gets to the good part. Everyone who is angry. Well, now some of you might be reading your Bible going, gee, Paul, why aren't you saying without cause? That seems important. Well, some Bible translations have it, some don't. The thing is, the more we uncover, the more uh, archaeology, etc., the most reliable manuscripts do not have that phrase. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that phrase. I'm just saying new translations don't have it, and that's the reason why. It's okay. But we've already seen that there's such a thing as being angry without sin. We've gone through some scriptures, talked about in the podcast. It's a real thing. So... This has to, at the very least, be the bad kind of anger, right? It's not a righteous anger. It's, it's uh, something other than that. I don't know if you noticed it says uh, you shouldn't be angry with your brother. 
Everyone who's angry with his brother? Mm-hmm. Well, that's like blood relation or countrymen, right? So that's kind of important to notice. Um, and then it says, and this, oh, Samuel, this is amazing. It says liable to judgment. Now remember, in verse 21, we said you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And I said that's liable to the judgment. Mm-hmm. And then down here in verse 22, it says, angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's also liable to the judgment. Hmm. These two phrases are identical. So here you have on one hand, it's like this clear equating of the reasonable punishment for murder. And Jesus is applying it to anger. I think we all should just take a moment and go, wow. That's a big deal. But on the other hand, what he's beginning is this very clear uh, escalation, right? He's offering three examples, and each of them get a little bigger, badder, whatever, stronger. And and so uh, that kind of confuses things a little bit. So it's a very, it, this is a, a, a strange little verse right here. Uh, so, but we're going to look at it. So he starts with, well, uh, let's see. We know that he says being angry. The next one is whoever insults. And some of your, your text may say, uh, whoever says raka. Well, this would be like a modern day equivalent of somebody calling someone else senseless or stupid. Now, uh, I have this on good authority, Samuel. Cotton-headed ninny muggins? Simply not in view here. That one is still okay. <laughs> Just saying. I believe that's from Elf, right? Oh, you know it. Yeah. And then the last one, when it says you fool, okay, uh, it could mean stupid or foolish, but knowing what we just read, that would just be kind of repetitive. So if we also go back and maybe uh, appeal to the most likely Hebrew that would have been behind this, that kind of stuff, it includes the idea of being godless or an unbeliever or an idolater. So that is a really big deal. Now, what I'm going to try to do is put the whole escalation together here in a second, but there's one more phrase I want to attack. I'm sorry, address. <laughs> it says, the hell of fire. Oh, boy. Now, I don't know if you know this, at least in terms of our walk through the Gospels. This is the first time we've seen this word. It's a brand new word. Ah, uh, principle first mention. Hell. It just appears out of nowhere. But I got news for you. This is not the eternal, fiery abode ruled by a bi-horned, pointy-tailed, red dude of popular myth. No. This is Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a place of punishment. It is, you know, dry and, and tortuous and even fiery, but it's not eternal. It's simply a part of the grave. In, in Hebrew, it's Sheol. And in fact, some of, your, some of your Bibles in your Old Testament, they'll talk about Sheol occasionally. Gehenna is just a part of, you know, this, this uh, place referred to as the grave. Now, in simple terms, we know when we die, we go to the grave. But for clarity, I'm not talking about a six-foot hole. We're talking about your disembodied spirit escaping this creation. It's residing outside of creation. I guess we would say the spiritual realm. That is the grave or Sheol. And it has, in Jewish uh, tradition, it's, it's said to consist of compartments or areas. And from the New Testament, we pretty much know of two of them anyway. One of them we know is paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that one. And it's, you know, kind of, sort of, heaven-like, the way that, that modern Christians in America think of heaven. And so you've got paradise, and then you've got Gehenna, which is, you know, kind of hell-like, the way modern American Christians think of hell. But here's what's important. These places, they're only relevant when we're speaking of the time of death, meaning uh, that time between death and death and resurrection. They are the abode, or abodes, for 
the eternal spirit during that time. So you die, you're going to spend some time in paradise or Gehenna, or if Gehenna, I don't know, maybe you could get released from there or something and go, I don't know, but whatever. It's between death and resurrection. So when you see that word hell, you've got to get that popular modern image out of your head and you've got to think the time between death and resurrection, this is where, you know, let's just call them the bad people, get a little bit of their punishment going on. Now, it seems crazy to have to bring this up and talk about this here, but Samuel, did it at least make sense? Yeah, and I think maybe another tidbit that can help paint this picture is that, and I need you to fact check this for me, Paul, wasn't there an actual place outside of Jerusalem specifically named Gehenna where it's it was essentially like the trash dump of Jerusalem where like all forms of economic life high class middle class and low class their refuse would go to this place it would be dry and you know we're going to see later images that Jesus uses of weeping and gnashing of teeth and things burning and not being consumed when a Jewish audience hears that they're going to think about that actual physical place especially because that is where the most disenfranchised and the poorest people their homes were next to there so you can imagine (laughs) what their experience of life is like next to a land that is completely being used to consume like the nastiest aspects of human life so yep the, yeah. it it's just painting a picture and it's painting a picture that they would have been familiar with based on their culture yeah exactly and and you know in a way uh and you pick how you think it went either they named that compartment in sheol after that valley or they named that valley after the compartment in sheol i mean they did that on purpose yeah because they were making that connection already and jesus is just going with the flow Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, good point. I'm glad you brought it up. And we'll talk about it more. It's just, you know, we had to say something here because we can't let that kind of thinking go on. We got to yeah. gotta address it and we'll, we'll do more later. Well, anyway, I promised that I would uh, walk, walk us through the escalation of verse 22. Let's do that real quick. So, so how do we make... You know, this idea of there's a strong equation between the penalty for murder and the penalty for anger, and then yet at the same time, that that first little bit was part of a three-part escalation. Well, the first one, it's talking about being angry. This is an internal state. And, of course, you you get this judgment, and, and that judgment, you know, we talked about, well, maybe it's just local, whatever. Here's how it may work out in the first century Jews' mind, okay? Remember, they're occupied by the Romans. They've got these local courts and they do all this stuff, but whenever it comes time for punishment, guess what? They can't do any of it. They can't do anything without the permission of the Romans. So even if you went to a local court and they said, oh, you murdered somebody, well, it's a death penalty for you. Well, the local courts can't do that. They need the Romans to do it. And so it has to get kicked up. The Sanhedrin has to handle that stuff. Well, why do I say that? Well, because the next one was expressing that anger through insults, right? You're senseless, you're stupid, whatever. So it's gone from being internal to now being external. And this is more like the Sanhedrin level. And this is important because the Sanhedrin could actually appeal to Rome and say, hey, we've got these laws. This is what it deserves. This is our penalty. Will you please carry this out? because you won't let us do it. And the Romans would, you know, oblige. They would do that. So that was a thing. And then the next one was the expressing not just insults, but like condemnation and judgment. I mean, basically taking God's place, if you will, calling someone uh, an idolater, you know, uh, whatever, unbeliever. And this now leads us up to God's judgment. And so... Now we're talking about what we we just explained all about Gehenna instead of paradise during death and all that kind of thing. So so we've got this big ex- escalation 
But you get to the end of it, and, and I mean, somehow you got to simplify this a little bit. What's the ultimate point? Well, Jesus' point, and, and this is one that most people probably kind of intuitively get. Something as horrible as murder begins with something as ordinary as anger. And the lesson is you've got to try to catch it early or you may not be able to stop it. And speaking of stopping, as soon as you finish with your thoughts and questions, we're going to have to. <laughs> you knew what was coming. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, this is a perfect example of the difference between the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, that it's not just following the surface level, that Hebrew Peshat aspect of what God says in that commandment, because there are deeper, more nuanced aspects within human life that are contributing factors that can lead to the breaking of that commandment that God does not want for our lives. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so funny because it's, it has nothing to do with the Bible, but there is a little maybe gospel nugget in it. Uh, for any of you Star Wars fans out there, Yoda has a quote that sounds like he is describing this exact same story that Jesus is painting right now about anger and like going beyond the letter of the law and the spirit. So, and I'm actually going to try to do it in the Yoda voice. This is going to be so embarrassing. So, <laughs> so this is from, uh, I think, Revenge of the Sith. So he says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. So he, he shows that, that progression of you have that seed of insecurity that Jesus is hinting at, and it, if, if you don't take care of that aspect, it's going to turn into this monumental thing. Man, leave it to Yoda. I know, right? <laughs> he knocks it out of the park. <laughs> now that's, yeah, see, that's good. That's really good. And this, I don't know. I This was our first, uh, you know, they refer to these as antithesis statements. Sorry, I can't even say that right. Antithesis. And it's a terrible name because it's saying that, that Jesus is basically contradicting Torah. It's just not true. Mm-mm. It's just not. But anyway, this is good stuff, and there's so much more to come. Yeah, speaking of more to come, Paul, we have an announcement to make for next week. We have a surprise for our listeners. Yeah. Well, you know how we normally release these podcast episodes on Sunday night? Mm Mm-hmm. We're doing something outside of the bounds of just this walk through Scripture. We actually do an interview. Samuel? Who did we do our first interview with? Uh, insert drum roll sound effect. <laughs> our inaugural interview is with Marty Solomon of Impact Campus Ministries and Baymaw Discipleship. So he will be joining us next week for a an amazing discussion about his life, um, his ministry, and it was a great, great experience. So I really hope that you tune into it because I think it's going to bless your life getting to know this man a little bit better. Yeah, and what we're going to do, uh, we'll, we'll continue releasing the walk through Scripture normally like we always do on Sunday night. This interview is going to be released uh, Wednesday. So if you're listening to this, I don't know, on a Monday or Tuesday or whatever, Wednesday night you're going to get the the Marty Solomon release. Yeah, so. even more reason to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Shameless to, plug. That's right. We got to get out of here. All right. Uh, I, I'm calling it. We're done. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie dokie most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. Our content is now available on all all platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. 
You can visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. And finally, we would love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments you have at our email address, okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.